Hey everybody, this is Alex, and you're listening to Lunchbox Radio, Sunday edition. Now, before we get started, oh, thank God we got the bullet. Holy shit. We don't have to deal with the... We don't have to deal with 45 anymore. We we successfully moved on to 46 and not, like, ended the the concept of America. Thank God. Deep breath. But now... Um, thanks to everybody who's listened to my last episode on what you now know is Queen's Game. Um, but that episode was meant to kick off a really important, uh, what I think of as a really important conceptual run of um, Sunday editions that I'm going to do. And that is all about anime, the influence of anime around the world, and just as a kind of primer here, um, there's all kinds of different ways anime has influenced not just American cartoons, but certainly American cartoons, and certainly American media properties in general. Um, if you remember, if you haven't listened to the Queen's Game episode, uh, I it's the one that says it's a secret, and you should just listen to it, because I wanted to talk about a real world, like a footage for all intents and purposes, a live action sports anime that is, it, it is like if, what if Hikaru no Go, but real, basically, and, and about chess, not Go, but as I was talking, like, Sitting there watching the show, it occurred to me there's a lot of other stuff that that are clearly influenced by anime, but don't don't do a carbon copy of the like. And Queen Blade and um not Queen Blade Queen Gambit. I probably called it Queen Blade several times. That's a bad mistake. Um, Queen Gambit does a bunch of different things that are more analogous to, like, peak TV stuff in it that anime doesn't do because the anime's not super concerned with that stuff, or at least it wasn't. But, um, the other thing it does, it's clearly taking its cues from not just great sports anime, great sports stories, but it it feels like it's an excellent execution on like the shonen sports anime thing that it's kind of amazing. So I wanted to do a couple episodes, probably about three, about the influence of anime on the on especially western on especially western media, especially western cartoons. And and pop culture. And the place I want to start here is is with the two big comic book the two big comic book companies, Marvel and DC. And the reason why I want to start here is because there's one um company that I think had done a amazing job had had done an amazing job with its 
handling of anime of anime and manga influence in his work. And there's one that has like it continues to attempt and it continues to be this weird, like half baked, whoops, we fucked up, let's try it again kind of scenario. And those are and the one who I think has done it the best is DC. Now, the reason why I say that is because we all give we all give Marvel a ton of credit for, you know, Black Panther, but in reality, the the wave of diversity and the wave of like differences of opinion and perspective actually exists probably the best in the DC universe. The DC, if you stop and think about, um, case in point, if you stop and think about a black superhero, it's not uncommon that you will probably think of um, John Stewart, the Green Lantern, or um, you will think of Static Shock, or um, Black Adam, or any number of, or Cyborg from Teen Titans, or any number of superheroes. And why you think, and why in the modern day, lots of people probably think of Black Panther, it, he is the, he is the big Marvel tentpole superhero who is Black. And I, I'll tell you why I'm talking about this in a second. But, um, you know, with John Stewart, with Static Shock, with there's a character called Black Steel from um, from with um, what's her face um, the uh the like cool Williamsburg supermodel who has magical animal powers chick from, um, that you meet in, um, Justice League Unlimited. There's this whole cavalcade of characters that Marvel was like, okay, we need to do, when, Mar when um, not Marvel, when DC said, we need to start diversifying our you know, our, the, the perspective that we tell superhero stories from, they really went for it. And that's true of every kind of, a lot of the stuff that DC does. DC is not, DC, when they see an opportunity to add, like, to add a point of view or a, a cultural influence, it seems like they want to do a lot of the work to really, to really do it and to really make it meaningful and and integrated into the world. I when I'm in reading um, the Marvel, in reading the um, old copies of X Men we've been reading for um, Uncanny Curves, which you haven't if you haven't checked that out, there's three episodes out now. You should go check out Uncanny Curves on whatever you're using to listen to me right now. It's a 
shit ton of fun, and we have a lot of fun making it. That made by my friend Lauren, Larry, and me, um, and our friend Larry and me. Um, but the thing that you see in those comic books is that they have arrived at the okay, racism bad thing, but they haven't they haven't arrived at it for the for the actual Irish character they have in there because they like it's stunning the amount of like Irish people are weirdos and they upset us they have in that comic like they it's stunning that it's like he he gets the castle filled with leprechauns. We're at that part now. It's insane. Um, and with DC, but with DC, it feels like they tackle. They only tackle something really complicated like that when they know they're ready to do it. When they know they're ready to do it well and do it justice. And that's true of, like, the anime, like, anime influences and stuff like that, too. If, um, you remember, and you probably don't, in the very early aughts, there was this trend of Marvel manga, where, where Marvel had a, went out and got a bunch of people to draw manga-style version, manga-style, and they were released in, like, manga volume size things, too, manga-style stories in the Marvel universe of things. So there was one called, like, Mary Jane. Um, Mary Jane is the one I remember seeing everywhere. And from what I understand, it didn't get much farther than that because the the thing is, is that they didn't. A was it? A what Marvel could have done at that point is they could have gone out and hired, and to a, to an actual um. To an actual. To actual mangaka and said, "Hey, we really want to start. Do, we really want to start publishing things in this style." Here are all these characters. What would you do? And see what they would do. Because people, uh, you know, we think of, you know, Marvel Comics and manga as, like, Marvel Comics and DC Comics and manga as separate things. But they're all the same kind of overarching vertical, so to speak, to use business speak. And... You can bet your ass that, like, Oda has read Batman before. <laughs> Maybe still does. And so they have ideas of what they would or could do with the... If they were given access to those characters for, like, reasons of telling a story publicly. And that could have been really cool. Um, but, you know, the universe of the universe... But over on the DC side, there's a um, weird 
schism in Batman called um called the like gap called like the called Japanese 1960s Batman I think is what people would probably know it as and that is they want DC wanted to do something different with Batman and one of the produ- one of the um editors at DC really loved I forget the um, manga artist's name but they offered it up to him and he's like I I don't think they offered it up to him pretty early in the run of Batman and he's like I don't think I can do this I can't draw like this and then they came back around to him in the 60s and they said hey we want to offer this to you again and he's like fine I'll do my best and the result is like the most wild looking version of Batman from that era in comic books ever it's like totally different looking because he couldn't he couldn't force himself into the DC comic style at the time so he just did his own thing and and it, it gets to exist alongside all the other stuff and continued moments like that is how you get to things like cool weird ass Trippy moments like Batman Ninja, which I've talked about before on this podcast. You can listen. You can go to the feed and whatever you can listen to me right now and listen to that because that was a wild movie. And it also contributes to things like Teen Titans, where Teen Titans is very clearly a a DC property through the lens of um anime and manga and that's it it's a it's a difference in where each company has placed their value and what i mean by that is to dc their their character their characters are the, so here's how I would put it. DC has figured out a way with ev- with every one of their character, with the exception of with the except with the notable exception of Superman, and it because Superman is like Superman is basically immortal. Um, but with every single one of their characters, otherwise they have figured out the line of succession, so to speak. So, for Batman, you have Batman Beyond. For Static Shock, I'm sure they'll have something there. For Green Lantern, every time a Green Lantern dies, a different Green Lantern gets the ring, in that a different person gets the ring and becomes the new space cop for that sector. And, or, like, you deputize one per- another person, blah, 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 blah. And what that what that does is it means they already know they can phase in they can go in and out of phases of that story and of that con of the concept of that superhero. So it allows them to put value on the styling instead of the superhero and it allows them to 
have conversations about modern things in a much less the it needs to come from the mascot's mouth kind of way. I now they when they had to modernize Iron Man when they started the when they started the Marvel Cinematic Universe, they had to pick somebody to modernize. They had to pick a superhero who was well known, but not so well known that they couldn't they couldn't um, deviate from the path a little bit. And that's the reason they picked Iron Man because they could modernize the story. And they could tell that story in a way that felt most relevant to a possible American experience now. In the original Iron Man, he doesn't survive a um out out like a Al Qaeda esque hostage crisis. He um, I think originally he gets fucked up in the draft in Vietnam. And that's a very different, it's a very different but similar enough story where they could modernize him. If you look at all of the the Marvel Cinematic Universe characters, because of the way they handled that movie and like the 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 introduction of Iron Man to the masses, I mean, I've followed Iron Man since I was a kid. It was a perfect modernization of him. But if you look at the rest of them, they kind of haven't done much to the storylines. Like Captain America is still the Captain America story. You know, all of this stuff is still what it is. They had to get to the to the line of succession to start changing things up. Like, um, Falcon, a black character, gets to be Captain America now. Um, the only opportunity they had to really inject modern, modern, a concept of modern framing into these, into the, um, Marvel Cinematic Universe was with Black Panther. And they did that so hard, so fast, in a way that you couldn't not notice. That's why it, like, that movie exploded because it was designed to explode on every level in a cultural way. And it, I mean, when I was watching TikToks, when I was watching what in an, a social media generation past would have, it probably still does have a news article that said Donald TikTok kicks Donald Trump out of the White House, or TikTok says goodbye to Donald Trump. This is awesome moment where, um, this black guy just walks out on his porch and puts an American flag back up on his porch, and he turns around and he does the Wakanda Forever salute and smiles and goes back into his house. And that was all he needed to do. The kind of cultural permutation of that that demonstrates is amazing. But 
Marvel Marvel has become great at has become great over the years setting culture up to like expand out, but hasn't become has never really truly been great at incorporating that culture back in. You know, incorporating culture from elsewhere into itself because it is so because its characters are such monoliths and so like mascots that and believe me, DC has moments where like everything needs to come back to the Joker with Batman and it's weird and we gotta get past it. But in things like Batman Ninja and things like Teen Titans in like weird little episodic moments in um just in the Justice League cartoon from the early aughts, you see things like the animators just finished watching Ava and they want to make an Ava monster. They're just going to do that as an intro. It doesn't need to matter that much, but what can matter is if you've seen Ava, there are some things I want to show you in Justice League. And they can do things like, you know... Uh, a bunch of the people who are in charge of the new Teen Titans thing basically stayed up all night and watched a whole lot of anime and were like, what if the, what if that was this now? And that's a cool ass thing to be able to do. And DC, because like I said, they have this they get to ha- they get to place importance on the style and not importance on the substance because they figured out the substance. The substance will be what it is. Batman can find another Robin any goddamn day of the week. So why don't we do something cool with this Robin? If it doesn't work out, we'll find another Robin. It's fine. We can make alliterative names all goddamn day. And it's just... It, it, it's a really, because DC feels so modern in that way, it's really a kind of awesome way to, it's an awesome opportunity to have, and it makes them, it makes their homages they pay to, like, anime, Japanese culture, manga feel way more authentic in a way than you know Marvel's attempts at it because it somebody at DC is very clearly saying like if we're gonna do this we have to do it 150 percent um and it just it it feels like on the DC side, it feels like a more artistic venture than on the Marvel side. On the Marvel side, they'd be happy to do, they're happy to do things in an anime style as long as it can be part of the marketing arm. Whereas DC is like, no, if we're going to make a weird anime Batman situation, we're going to make it a movie and we're going to give it more budget than anyone in this room is actually comfortable with giving it because that might be what it needs to, at the very least, be a fucking weird 
cool art piece that will it be good who knows but will it be interesting you bet your ass and i just i and i if you've listened to the podcast for any period of time you probably know that i appreciate what if concepts fleshed out and in the same way i appreciate just like artistic experimentation and stuff and DC always, at least to me, has seemed like it's doing artistic experimentation really well. And I'm not saying that, like, artistic experimentation isn't done at Marvel or it can't be done as well. But I am saying that because of Marvel, the company of Marvel trajectory, they hit a point where it wasn't where their swings aren't as big as DC's can be because DC once DC made the concept of like the Super Friends and then Justice League they implicitly said you know, all of this stuff is in the same universe. All of this stuff is just here. And they they had... It, at the point at which you hit Super Friends in, like, the fucking 70s, um, or whenever... I think those cartoons are from the 70s. I think Super Friends are the Hanna-Barbera era thing. I, you, you have created a shared universe that now you get to play around in. And once you've had that for long enough, you get to play around in it in really fun and unique and interesting ways. And you get to use that shared universe in stylistic ways that you wouldn't have allowed yourself to do when it was just getting started. And that... It... It just... It... It's so... It's, if you haven't checked out, like... Teen Titan, like the Teen Titans show from um, Cartoon Network, not the Teen Titans Go Nightmare, but the original Teen Titans. Or if you haven't checked out, like, Batman Ninja or any of that stuff, it's it's worth going to see it just to see, because what DC is doing is they're like, first they had a moment of like, okay, how do we do our own interpretation or take on what a DC character-inspired anime would look like. That's what Teen Titan... That's what Teen Titans ultimately is, and that's why the movie is Big Trouble in Little Tokyo. And then they're like, okay, that went really well. That was really cool. What if we took a bigger risk? What if we turned around to a studio, to an anime anime studio, CGI anime studio, and we said, here's Batman. Here's Batman's rogues galley. What the hell would you do with this? And that's what Batman Ninja is. And like I said, they have the weird Joker problem in that. But it's just... it. They have used anime influence to turn their... To make really interesting, cool experiments with their... With their, you know... Um, how with their house with their house team of superheroes, 
And it's really fascinating. Whereas Marvel wants to use it as like a keeps making taking stabs at it and it never quite sticks. And it never quite feels right because it feels like it feels like people who want to do more but aren't being allowed to and and or people who should just give this over to the old master like give Iron Man to like Takeshi Koike. See what the fuck he does with that. That would be amazing. And they and they made these Iron Man they made these Marvel anime, but and I've talked about them before. They're all weird. They are all very strange. They feel they feel like peak marketing in lots of ways. Um and they and they also they also feel like Tony Stark goes to Japan. <laughs> um so yeah, so that that's kind of where anime has influenced kind of Marvel and DC comics. Next week I'm going to talk about um where and and next Sunday edition I'm going to talk about how anime has influenced the like kind of, the kind of American small indie cartoon. And on that note, um, I have been Alex. You've been listening to Lunchbox Radio Sunday Edition. If you like this episode, you can subscribe to the podcast in whatever you're using to listen to me right now. Episodes come out every Thursday and Sunday. Thursday shows are talking about like a show, usually anime. Um, the Queen's Gambit episode is super unusual. With either usually anime, if there's a live action anime movie, I usually try and cover it. Um, but definitely go, definitely go um, see, definitely go check out DC stuff because DC's like more anime inspired stuff because it's worth your time, even if it's not perfect, it's really interesting. Um, on that note, I have been Alex. You've been listening to Lunchbox Radio Sunday Edition. Probably already said that. And I will talk to you on Thursday.